Welcome to Cross Communities Podcast. We're glad you're here to listen today. We would love to connect with you today for listening to our podcast. Please fill out a connect card on our website at c3naz.net. You can also support the ministries of Cross Community by giving online on our website. We hope that today's message will strengthen your faith and help you to love God and people more. So glad that you are here with us today, whether you're joining us here in the building or you're joining us online. Thank you for being here. If you're online, but you're local and you want to risk it, you can come right after the service and uh, come with us to our potato bar and salad bar, get to meet some folks. If you're here today, this is your first time or you've been here for a long time. Um, we want you to stay and eat and let's have some fun together and get to know some folks. Uh, it's going to be a great time. Even if you didn't participate, you didn't bring anything, don't worry. We got it all covered. Just come hungry. Come fix your potato the way you want it. You know, And we have so much cheese. You can have cheese on your cheese. So, uh, you know, just come and, and have fun. Uh, it's going to be a great time. But we're going to continue our series today. And our series is Prove It. We're really going through a teaching time of going through the letter of 1 John. Or as we heard last week, it's really probably a, a cyclical sermon. A sermon that was sent from John to a group of house churches, most likely around Ephesus and right around that area in ancient times. And so we're into this sermon, and we're going to see some things today. We're only going to look at two verses today, but there is so much packed into these two verses that I just felt like this is it. We, we need to hit this, and next week we'll, we'll hit another few verses, and then we'll kind of maybe pick up speed from there. But last week we looked, so if you have your Bibles, however you get them, uh, electronic form like I'm going to use today, or book form. There's a Bible right there in the pew back in front of you. Find your way to 1 John chapter 1, and we're only going to be in verses 5 through 7 today. You might be thinking, oh, it's going to be a quick sermon, and I hope it will be. But there is so much in this. Last week we saw that our faith is an experience It's not just something that we memorize a few facts or God just puts a few beliefs in our head, but it's something that we experience down at the core of who we are. And that experience is not just for us. It expands out, and it expands out to everyone. I'm sorry there's no chocolate this week. We'll have potatoes later. But it expands out, and it includes everyone. And because this experience is good and expands out to everyone, we can actually enjoy sharing our faith with someone else. Talking about the way that we have experienced God's love. Today, we'll look at these uh, two verses here, and we'll begin to look into some of these things. And I'm going to have, have you lean in. If you're new to faith or new to Christianity or someone dragged you here today, there's going to be a few things that sound odd to our 21st century ears, but hang with me. I want to teach you some things. I think this is going to mean something valuable to you right where you are today. So if you have your Bibles open, let's read 1 John chapter 1, verses 5-7. through 7. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. 
This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. This is the word of God for the people of God, both here and online. And our response is, thanks be to God. Now, John is going to use something here for us that we're going to see. And and yes, it just got dark in here. It's okay. I know I'll probably get some complaints about uh, I can't take notes. That's okay. Uh, Use the flashlight on your phone. It'll be all right. We're going to be looking at this example because John is going to go back and forth for a while here in the first part of this sermon that he is sending out to these churches. He is going to use the example of light and darkness. And he wants to be very clear. God is light. And in Him there is no darkness. And, and there's a little language metaphor here that when they, with the way they write, that John writes, there is no darkness. He means at all, not even a little bit, not even an iota. God is light. This is important. Light is something that we need for life. Life, light is something that we need in order to see. Light is something we need in order to flourish. And so he is saying all of these things as John says, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Now, John is going to use a technique throughout this entire book. And so I want to teach this to you. I know you weren't looking for a rhetoric lesson today, which is just persuasive writing. But I need to teach this to you because it's going to be important. John uses a writing tool of the ancient time. We still use it a little bit today. But it's called amplification. I would ask you to raise your hands if you've heard of amplification, but I can't see you anyways. (laughs) Amplification is an ancient form of written persuasion. So if you were writing to someone, you would use amplification in order to try to persuade them of something. Now, what does amplification do in order to persuade someone? What it does is it uses cyclical repetition. So you're going to see in this first part of the, of the sermon of 1st John, you're going to see him talk about light over and over and over again. And he's going to nuance it in little ways all the way through. But it's not just about the repetition that gets it into the brain and, and tries to get you persuaded, but he also uses hyperbolic language. He uses hyperbole. Now hyperbole is a, is a type of phrase or words that really gets your attention and you usually pulls or tugs on your emotions. He wants to shock you, to get your attention around this theme that he's going to be coming back to again and again. And often a person who is amplifying something for persuasion is also going to make stark contrasts. And we see that right here. Our example is between what? Light and 
dark. So he's going to go back and forth between this. He's going to use language that tries to grab your attention, get your emotions involved in hopes of persuading you of something so important that he wants you to know. In fact, Grammarly, I was looking this up just to make sure that we still use how we use this today. Uh, and Grammarly tells us that in writing, it is a way that writers say to the reader, look here, right here. It is a way to provide the reader with vivid imagery. And I'm trying to do this today to give you an example, not just in writing, but to show you vivid imagery between light and dark. Light and dark. So hold on to that today as we go through this together. Contrasting light and dark. And so John has started. He has started with light. We've already read that. That God himself is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. Not even a little bit. Not even an iota. Not even a tiny bit. God is light. But then he moves into that language that is going to contrast that, and he's using that amplification to move forward. Then he moves to darkness. So let's read verse 6. If we claim to have fellowship with him, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie, and do not live out the truth. Oh, that seems harsh, doesn't it? That's, I mean, God just, I mean, John just called you a liar if this is true in your life. That is meant to get your attention. That's the hyperbole. But I want you to see, this is just simply logic. But it's told to you in a way that tries to grab your attention. He is saying, if you walk in, if you say that you have fellowship with God, who is what? Light. And yet, I'm over here. And God is light, but I'm over here. Do I really actually have fellowship with God? No, because if I have fellowship with God, I'll be what? In the light. And so he is, he's trying to grab your attention and, and cause you to look at yourself to allow this good thing to happen to you. But he has to get your attention. And I think that's something that for many of us, we still need. For God to get our attention. For us to allow Him to look and say, Am I in the dark? Or am I walking in the light? Now why is this important? We'll we'll begin to look at this. I think what, what He wants us to wrestle with is then, How do I know if I'm walking in the light or in darkness? Because it's, it's easy to just have a light on the stage and walk back and forth between the two. But how do I know when it comes to walking with God, how do I know if I'm walking in the light or in the darkness? And so John moves very quickly into the next part, into that verse. He answers it by describing what happens when we walk in the light. So if you have an electronic Bible that you can actually see, we'll read this together. Otherwise it will be on the screen. He says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another 
And the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. I want us to focus right there on that first part. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, how do we know we are walking in the light? First thing is, that John wants us to see, is that people who are walking in the light sense our Savior is with us. That if we're walking in the light as He is in the light, we know that He is with us. And that means in those times where we're struggling, in the times where we feel alone, and in the times that are difficult, in the seasons of life where we struggle, a person who walks in the light knows that there is someone with them. And that someone loves them, gave himself for them, is with them in the midst, and will strengthen them all the way through the darkest of times. That's what it means to walk in the light. We sense that Jesus walks with us. No matter what life throws at you, Jesus is with you. And that's what it means to walk in the light. One thing that it means to walk in the light. What else does it mean to walk in the light? Well, he goes on, he says, we know that Jesus is with us. If we walk in the light, He is in the light, then something takes place. We have fellowship with one another. So people who are walking in the light know that our Savior is with us. They sense that our Savior is with us, but they see others clearly. That there is fellowship with one another. This is important. Now, last week we learned this word, and John is using it over and over again, so we probably should, should know what this is. The word for fellowship in Greek, which is the language that John wrote this letter in, is koinonia. Can we say that together? Ready? One, two, three. Koinonia. I want you to get this word. One, two, three. Koinonia. Let's say it one more time. Koinonia. Now, it's not just about hanging out together and eating potatoes and salad, although it can include that. But what it is, is is it is a participatory partnership. When you're in fellowship with someone, you are participating in something together for mutual purpose. Last week we looked at it and said, it's a communal experience, and we're engaged in a communal mission. So we are with Him in the light, and we see others clearly when we walk in the light. So how do we know we're walking in the light? We sense that our Savior is with us, and we see others with us. The good news, my friends, is is that it is impossible to walk in the light alone. Can I get an amen? If we're in the light, we never walk alone. And I know we could go through time of testimony after testimony after testimony of people going through difficult and hard times only to find that someone who walked in the light with them was praying for them or reached out to encourage them or put an arm around them or prayed for them. We never walk in the light alone for He is with us and we are together in this koinonia this common experience, and this communal mission together. That's some good news, isn't it? But he's not done yet. 
It says not only do we sense that our Savior is with us, not only do we see others clearly, but something also happens to our sin when we walk in the light. Now, I want to pause here for a moment because sin is a very religious word. And if you're new here or online, I want, I want us to understand what sin is all about. Now, sin is the Greek word hamartia. Let's say that together. Ready? One, two, three. Hamartia. Let's say it one more time. One, two, three. Hamartia. Let's say it one more time just so you think about it when you leave here. Ready? One, two, three. Hamartia. And it literally comes from an archery term, meaning to miss the mark. And and what that can mean is that we are called to, uh, so what is the mark that we're shooting at? I mean, obviously we're not up here with bows and arrows doing that. And, and if we miss, we're saying, oh, well, you know, sorry, you're, you've sinned. You need to repent. No, what is the mark that we are shooting for? Well, if we follow this, the scriptures through from the very beginning to the very end, what God is calling us to is to live in the way that he created us. And if we go back to Genesis in the first few chapters, God created human beings and he looked at them and he said they are very good. And God's intention for us as human beings was for us to depend upon Him and realize that He would provide everything for us and learn from Him wisdom and what is good for life and what is not good for life or, or, or leads to death. We were to live in this relationship near to God, in the light. The Bible tells us that our first parents walked in the garden with God. They were walking in the light. And they were called to strive to walk in that, to receive from God all they needed, including the wisdom of what is right and what is wrong. And we know that they decided when they saw the fruit on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they saw that it was good and they decided, I'm not going to depend on God for that. I'm going to figure out what it is on my own. And they took that. That is hamartia. They missed the mark of what God intended for human beings to do. To live with Him. To live depending upon God. To live learning wisdom from God of what is right and leads to life and what is wrong and can lead to death. This is hamartia. But I think for us to understand this today in in a better way and maybe a, a more memorable way is for us to understand that sin is an attitude, it's an act, and it's an atmosphere. Let me explain this just a second. Sin is an attitude, it's an act, and it's an atmosphere. Sin as an attitude is someone who lives saying, God is not going to give me what I need. I can't trust God. I I can't receive from Him. I, I don't know that He's dependable. And so I have this attitude that stirs within me that I am not enough, that I've got to strive after it for myself. I'm in this all by myself. I've got to put my pull myself up by my bootstraps, whatever that means. It's this attitude that says I cannot fully depend on God. 
And that attitude then leads to acts where I have to grab for myself. I have to take it for myself. If I can't rely on God to be dependable and provide all I need, then I've got to grab it for myself. And if I'm grabbing it for myself and you have what I think I need and I take it from you, then that act is missing the mark, is sin. This is an easy, we'll we'll just deal with, with stealing here. If I take it from you because I have an attitude that God is not dependable and I want it and I pull it, that is sin as an act. But now the problem is, is that act of missing the mark creates an atmosphere where now you, who I took from, distrusts. And there's something, if we know each other between us, how could you do this? How could you do this to me? And now there's a kind of polluting of the atmosphere of the relationships between us. Do you see how pervasive hamartia, missing the mark, can be? It can be an attitude we hold. It can be an act that we do. But it pollutes the atmosphere of the relationship between us and also between us and the God who is light. When we begin to participate in this, this is what John means when he says we walk in the dark. But he says when we come into the light, something happens with that attitude. Something happens to those acts. Something happens in that atmosphere. And let's look and see what it is. So let's see what happens to sin when it is brought into the light as He is in the light. It says that the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. What? Oh, Blood? Purifying? This is really hard for us in our 20, with our 21st century ears. Can I get an amen? It's tough. There's a lot of the Bible that is tough for us to read in the 21st century. So let me explain a little bit. If you're watching online and you're tempted to click to the next Facebook page, hang on. Let's just dive in here. Blood in the ancient time and in the Jewish faith of which John was and then was believed that Jesus was the Jewish Messiah, that he died and was raised again. In that faith, in that tradition, in that understanding, in the scriptures of the Old Testament, we see that blood is a symbol. It symbolizes life. And so God set up with His people this thing that they would do when they would have to bring a perfect, spotless lamb that they had raised that probably had seen it born, had seen the cute little way that they kind of bounce around on all fours. Boing, 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 boing. And to bring that to the altar. And then what they were called to see was that sin leads to death as that animal was sacrificed. And the life flowed out of it. But some of that life would be captured. I know this is strange. This, I mean, we don't even like to watch the butcher do this. It's strange for our ears. But what they were seeing was this symbolic way that they could understand in a tangible, visible, amplified way 
That sin leads to death. Sin as an attitude, as an action, and as an atmosphere leads to death. But that life is captured. And that symbol of life is then sprinkled. I know this is crazy. Sounds terrible, but I'm glad we gave up this this idea. But it would be sprinkled upon the people to say that the life that God has for us can cleanse you, can unpollute, can cleanse the atmosphere of sin between people, can forgive the act of sin if you have done something. It can change the attitude of sin. And what John does all throughout his gospel, very early on, when John the Baptist saw Jesus, does anybody remember what he declares about Jesus then? He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And all throughout his gospel, he develops this idea that Jesus is this spotless lamb. And when Jesus dies upon the cross, we look and see the consequence and the cost of sin as an attitude, as an action, and what it does in the atmosphere. We see how deep God's love is, and we see how ugly sin can be and where it leads. And when his blood fell upon the earth, that symbol of life, John says, takes away not just sin for Jewish people, but for the world. The Greek word there is actually cosmos. Wherever it is found, it is cleansed. It is transformed. It is healed. It is, John will say, purified. So when we walk in the light, I know this is, this is some tough stuff, but when we walk in the light, we know that we're not alone because He is with us. We sense that our Savior is with us. We see others with us. We see all of this take place. And we see that our sin is cleansed. Now, I want to ask you, I want to draw your attention here on one particular word. We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus purifies us, cleanses us from what? How much of our sin? All sin. Everybody say all. If you have a Bible and you can actually see it and highlight it, you need to underline that. Circle it. Bring attention to it. When we walk in the light, we sense our Savior is with us. We see others around us. And we know that He cleanses us from all our sin. We see our sin overcome completely. God doesn't do salvation part way or half of the, just a little bit at a time. God wants to forgive and cleanse and purify completely. Both the attitude, the act, and the atmosphere. God does that as we walk in the light, as He is in the light, and we see and sense that our Savior is with us. We see that we are not alone, but together, and we see our sin overcome completely. Do you see how John is using amplification in an incredible way?
Now we're going to go into this a little more next week. What this looks like. Because to say sin is overcome completely shocks us. Because we know ourselves. You know the person in the mirror, so do I. We know who they are, what they look like, how they think, what attitudes they have. But today, my friends, I think we need to lean into what John has said in these two verses. That Jesus' death and resurrection cleanses us from the attitude, the acts, and the atmosphere of sin as we walk with Him in the light. And so I'm going to close today by asking you, are you walking in the light? I mean, John has beautifully gotten our attention. John has, has used that amplification to, his, to the great effect. Has John persuaded you? Are you walking in the light? Or are you, and this is just my pastoral heart coming out, are we just playing near the light? You know there's a difference. I, I know we talked about dark, that seems pretty pretty extreme. In the light, yes, that's good. We've talked about all that's there. But sometimes, folks, I think we can get into this place where we're just kind of somewhere right on the edge. Playing around the edge. I can see the light. I can sing about the light. I can raise my hand in worship. I can, I can shed a tear at a Bible verse. But have I actually walked into the light that allows me to sense that my Savior is near? That allows me to see that I'm not alone in all of this? That allows me to know that the things that I do that lead to death, both in my attitudes, in my acts, and in the atmosphere that it creates around, all of that can be cleansed, healed, purified, made whole, and I can walk and continue walking in the light as He is in the light. This is just something that continues to cycle through. So are we walking in the light? Or playing on the edge of the light? I just, that's what really hit me this week. As I began to look at this, I'm going to close with an example. This is John Wesley. He dresses funny because it was a long time ago. John Wesley uh, grew up in a pastor's home. Maybe that's why I like him a lot. So did I. He had a dramatic experience when he was a kid. The the parsonage caught on fire. And he was on the second floor and he didn't get out. He opened the window and they could see him up there. This is amazing. The people of his city. The guys put shoulder on shoulder so someone could climb up and pluck him out of the fire out of the window from then on his mom told him you are my brand that god plucked out of the fire told him he was going to be a preacher talk about some guilt and shame <laughs> Whew, that's a heavy load to carry and so he leaned into it he went in to study ministry he went to oxford while he was there, he decided he wanted to start a group of people like-minded. They, they called it, get this name, isn't this great? You've, you've heard of, you know, maybe the chess club or the Spanish club or the French club. He, he started the Holy Club. 
I'm sure it just had tons of people longing to get in. And they worked on, on making themselves the best they could be for God. And after he was ordained, he decided that what God was calling him to do was to go to this, this crazy little place called the Colonies. And he was going to go to Georgia, which was a prison colony. And his belief was that God was going to use him to transform and convert the First Nations, Native Americans. And while he was there, what he was going to have to do is is be a, a pastor of a little church of all of these prisoners... And while he was there, he thought he could do it the best. And, and that was the, the church was interrupting his call to those first native peoples there in America. And, and so there was some animosity that began to bring it. He should be able to do this. And, and he, he kind of fell in love with someone. But he was so up in his own head that she wound up accepting someone else's proposal. And then he was so wounded and so hurt, he began to have that attitude of, what well, she should have waited for me. And so, I know this doesn't seem like a big deal to us today, but it was a scandal back then. He refused to give her communion in church when she came forward. That got everybody up in arms. And this guy who set out to be so holy, to follow after God, found out in a real way that he was just kind of dancing and playing around on the edge of the light. And he was literally chased for his life out of Georgia. He had to escape into God's country, North Carolina. And then make his way back with his head down on a ship back to England. It got even worse because on the trip back, there was a storm and he found out he was just a fraidy cat. And he looked and, and he felt even worse because here was this group of people, men, women, and children, that were singing praises to God and seemed so unafraid through this voyage that had him terrified. He found his way home depressed. And sad. And he was dragged very reluctantly to a meeting where they were just going to study the book of Romans. And he writes it like this. Let me read it to you. In the evening, I went very unwillingly, very honest, to a gathering at Aldersgate Street where one was reading Luther's, that's Martin Luther, Luther's preface to the epistle of the Romans. About a quarter to nine. While he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation, and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. I can think of no better description of moving from the edge of playing in near the light to walking into the light. He saw that his Savior was with him, that he was not alone, the group was with him, and his sin 
the attitude, the act, and the atmosphere was taken from him. Cleansed, purified, healed. And John Wesley from that moment on would keep talking about that light that he walked in. In fact, many historians, secular historians, will still look back and say it was the work of God through John Wesley and his brother Charles that kept a revolution like what happened in France from happening in England. Because he went out and he would say, I will go out into the fields, I will go to the coal mines, I will go to the people who don't feel like they can come into a church and And there I will preach. And when asked why he was so successful, the only answer he could give was, God has set me on fire and people come to watch me burn. Because he knew what walking in the light, what good news it was. That he was never alone. His Savior was with him. His people were with him. And his heart had been transformed. So I say to us today, my friends, are you walking in the light? Or are you just playing near the light? Today, you can start walking if you'd like to. I'm going to ask Kimber to come and play, and I'm going to ask for the lights to come up. We're done with our amplification for today. Because I think that question really needs to be addressed for us. And I know we've got potatoes and cheese and bacon and all that waiting for us. But the most important thing I could do as your pastor is to ask you that question and invite you to begin to walk in the light. I know this is tough, but I'm going to ask everyone to stand right where you are. And bow your head and close your eyes. You've heard as best as, as best I can describing what happens when you walk into the light. Would you like that? Do you feel alone? Do you feel like no one cares? Do you feel like sin is still overwhelming you in an attitude or maybe the acts that you do Maybe it's creating an atmosphere around you that you know is not leading to life. If you would like to begin walking in the light today, then I'm going to invite you to come forward. We have these places. They're kneeling benches here. Nothing magical about it. It's just a place to signify and to say with your whole life, your whole body, I'm coming forward because I want to walk in the light as he is in the light. And so in just a second, I'm going to pray. And then I'm going to sing one time this song, His Arms Are Open for All Who Gather Here. And I'm going to invite anyone who wants to respond, anyone who wants to today begin walking in the light, I want to invite you to come. Just come quickly. Someone's going to be near you to pray with you and celebrate with you. But let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Father, thank you for John's sermon. These two verses 
that tell us the good news that when we walk into the light, He's with us and He puts us with a group of people and cleanses sin all the way. And our attitudes forgives the acts that we have done. And He purifies the atmosphere that's been created and polluted by sin. Father, I pray for bravery for anyone who is here who longs to begin walking in the light. I pray that you would give them strength and your spirit would tap them on the shoulder right now and say, would you come? Let's walk in the light together. I pray that would happen. We're going to sing. You come if you need to. His arms are open for all to gather here. The cross has spoken. There's nothing left to fear. Once and for all He showed how far His grace will go for us. Our God is love. Bow your heads, Father. No one has come forward. But I do sense that there are some here who are in need. So I pray they would sense and know that you're with them. Pray that they would have the courage to say yes to you. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you would like for me this week to pray for you. Because you want to start walking in the light. Just like John talked about, if that's you, would you just raise a hand? Nobody's looking except me. Yes. One, two, three, four, five. Yes. Yes. I see those hands. You can put them down. God bless those whose hands are raised. May they know they have only to say to you, I want to walk in the light. Lead me. And all of this can happen for them. Lead us now, we pray, O God, out of this place. And may we walk in your light every step of this week. And come back next week to hear about how we go about stumbling along some and learning how to walk in the light with assurance and grace next week. Pray you would bless the food. Bless us as we eat together. May we see that as we eat together, we share the experience of what you have done in our lives. For we pray and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I could use a potato with cheese and bacon. Thank you. How about you? If you're watching online and you're local, come and join us. We'd love for you to be with us as well. Would you receive this blessing now as we go? And now, my brothers and sisters, my friends, both here and online, I pray that you would walk in the light as He is in the light. And I pray that you will experience your Savior near to you. I pray that you would know that we are all walking in the light together. You are not alone. 
most importantly, I pray that you will see your sin overcome completely and continue to walk in that light. I pray this in the name of the Father who is for us, the name of the Son who is with us, and in the name of the Holy Spirit who is in us, one God forever and ever. Go in His name, go in His power, His strength, His light, and may God bless you as you go. Let's go eat some potatoes and salad. Amen? All right, thanks for joining us. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in to Cross Communities Podcast. We hope you will join us next week.